0: Well, one thing we know for sure is that God continues to be glorified. That's what worship does with us. It reminds us of who God is. Tonight, we're going to be continuing in our series, Going Through the Bible, Journeying Through the Bible. And we've been doing this together. So if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks or even the months, well, actually, this is, this is going into August. So we started at the beginning of this year going through the Bible. And if you've been following us, we've been learning so much about how good God is even through this season. I'm so thankful that we get to partner together in preaching the gospel. And you might be thinking, preaching the gospel? I'm, I'm not preaching the gospel. I'm at home. I've been at work. I've been doing certain things. How am I partnering? Well, we cannot do this without your participation. When you give towards the kingdom of God, then he utilizes our gifts, and then he takes it and uses it for his glory, for things like this, broadcasting and, and uh helping people with meals and uh, counseling and and helping families become stronger. So thank you for giving. In fact, we're going to be praying over our tithes and offerings right now, if you would prepare your hearts. One thing I want you to know is that everything we do for God has a purpose and a reason. And when you give to him, every single thing that we do for him, which will glorify him, is used so that people find him. I recently had an email given to us as staff from, from someone who received Jesus on Sunday. And I thought, you know, these people who receive Christ, they're experiencing a brand new life, not just here on this earth, but for all of eternity. So I want to encourage you that when you give, it goes towards a person's life eternally. May we never forget, as believers, the goodness of God. And may we never forget that everything we do for him has eternal blessings. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the hearts that are giving. We thank you for the ability to participate in this kind of way. We know that you are good. And because of your goodness, we want to model after that. So can you take our tithes, our offerings, that as we give them to you, you will use them to multiply your kingdom so more people can come to know you as Lord and Savior. We pray your blessing over those who are giving, even those who are struggling right now financially. We pray that you would provide those who are praying praying for a, a job and work, Lord, that you would provide that for them, and that we would do our part by searching and seeking after you for those things. We pray this in your precious name, and we all said together, amen. There are four ways to give. It's going to pop out here on the screen, and you can follow those different ways you can mail it in to that address 840 Kupala Road you can text to give you can also give online or use our app and those are just ways we wanted to give to you so that it makes it easier for you to give as we continue tonight last week we were in the book of Ezekiel the first part and tonight we're going to be going into the second part of the book of Ezekiel so let's take a look at this video so that we can learn a little bit more on what Ezekiel is all about
1: The book of the prophet Ezekiel. In the first video, we were introduced to Ezekiel the priest, and he's sitting among the exiles in Babylon. And he's confronted by the awesome glory of God's temple presence, but it's appearing to him in Babylon. And then Ezekiel discovers why. It's because of Israel's idolatry and injustice that has compelled God to abandon his own temple. And while there is still hope for the future, the book went on to develop Ezekiel's message of divine judgment, first for Israel, and then for the nations around Israel. And then a key moment happened in chapter 33. Ezekiel receives a report that the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem is over because the city has fallen, the temple is destroyed. Ezekiel's grim words of warning came true. The exile was the most horrendous catastrophe that ever happened to Israel. And it raised the big questions of whether God was done with Israel for good. But remember, at the end of chapter 11, God promised that there was still a future beyond exile for Israel. And so the rest of the book is designed to explore Ezekiel's vision of hope. First for Israel, then for the nations, and then for all of creation. The hope for Israel begins with God promising to raise up a new David, a future messianic king who is going to be the kind of leader that Israel needed but never got. And this new Israel who is going to come under the messianic king's rule is going to be a transformed people. God's going to deal with the heart of their problem of rebellion by giving them new hearts. It's just like Moses promised at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. God says he's going to remove their hard hearts and send his spirit into his people to give them new soft hearts that can love and obey their God. And this idea gets developed in the next strange vision. Ezekiel sees a huge valley filled up with dry human bones and skeletons. And God tells him that it's an image, a metaphor for Israel's spirit. Spiritual state. So their rebellion against God, it resulted in exile and the literal death of many people but it was also a metaphorical death of their covenant relationship. And God tells Ezekiel that his spirit is coming to bring his people back to life. And so this wind comes and it causes all of the bones to stand up and it fills them with breath and life and then skin grows over the bones and then all of a sudden Ezekiel sees all of these new humans standing in front of him. Now this vision, it's recalling the story about the creation of humans in Genesis chapter 2, where God made humans out of dirt and divine breath. And so Israel and all humanity have rebelled, resulting in death. And so the only hope is that God would perform a new act of creation and remake humans in such a way that they can truly live in a relationship of love with God and with each other. And so after God is going to deal with the evil that's in the hearts of his own people, some questions still remain unresolved. Like, what about the evil that's still rampant out there among the nations? And what about the future of God's dwelling place in the temple? And this is what the final two sections of the book are about. So first come chapters 38 and 39. And they promise God's final defeat of evil among the nations, which gets personified by a ruler who's named Gog from the land of Magog. Now this name is derived from a genealogy of ancient kingdoms and lands from Genesis chapter 10 and it referred to powerful nations from the distant past. And so Ezekiel picks up this ancient biblical name as an image of any and all violent kingdoms. And so we find that Gog gets allied with seven nations that come from all four directions of the compass. is clearly an image that represents all of the nations. And this also helps us understand why Ezekiel describes Gog with images that he used earlier in the book to describe the king of Tyre and the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. For Ezekiel, Gog is an amalgam of all of the worst most violent people in the Bible. Gog is the archetype of human rebellion against God. The basic story in these chapters is that Gog resists God's plan to restore his people. And so just like Pharaoh in the Exodus story, Gog comes to destroy the people. But God unleashes his justice on Gog and it is in a flurry of scenes that don't actually make very good literal sense if you read them in sequence. Because first Gog and his armies are consumed by an earthquake, but then they are consumed by fire two different times and then after that God comes and strikes Gog and his army down in the fields where they lay unburied for months. It is clear that these scenes are full of symbol and imagery. Ezekiel has pulled out his entire poetic toolset here to describe how God is determined to finally defeat human evil that has ruined his world. And it is so that he can pave the way for a new creation. And so once evil is finally dealt with among the nations, the last section of the book describes how God's presence is going to one day return to his people and his temple to bring cosmic restoration. So Ezekiel first gets this long elaborate vision of a new temple and a new city. He's given this heavenly tour guide who shows him around the new temple complex and it's much larger and more majestic than even Solomon's temple. There's a new altar, new priests, a whole new system of worship. And then after this elaborate tour, God's glorious throne chariot that he saw back in his first vision comes back and it enters the new temple. Now the meaning of these temple visions has been the source of debate for a long, long time. So some Christian and Jewish readers believe that this vision will be fulfilled literally one day. And that these chapters offer the actual blueprints of the new temple that will be built when the Messiah returns and brings God's kingdom. But many other Jewish and Christian readers think that this vision, like all of Ezekiel's other visions, is full of symbols. And they depict the reality of God's presence returning to his people in the Messianic Kingdom, but not necessarily in the form of an actual building. Whichever view you take, it's important that Ezekiel never calls the city Jerusalem. And chapters 47 and 48 show why. Ezekiel sees this tiny stream pouring out of the temple threshold and steps. And then it quickly becomes this raging river and then it flows out of the temple and the city into the desert into one of the most desolate places on planet earth, the Dead Sea Valley. And then that river, it leaves behind it a trail of trees and life and then the Dead Sea gets transformed into a living sea that is teeming with plants and animals. All of this imagery comes from the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And we see just how cosmic Ezekiel's vision really is. God's plan has always been to restore all humanity and all creation back to his life-giving presence. And so the book ends with the name of this garden city. The Lord is there. And so Ezekiel's visions come to a close, full of hope for a new future, new humans living in a new world that's animated by God's life-giving spirit. It's a world permeated with God's love and justice. And that's what the book of Ezekiel is all about.
0: Ezekiel had such an extraordinary uh, assignment for him. Ezekiel had to battle through insecurity he had to battle through depression he even had to battle through doubt all the battles that he went through was because he was being obedient to god i think sometimes we try to look at following god that it's going to be easy or because we're following him and because we're we're obeying him that things will constantly work out together for good well, in the end it will, because that's God's promise for us. But what do we do when we're in the midst of darkness and it seems like there, there is no hope and despair is knocking at our door? Well, tonight as we continue on the second part of the book of Ezekiel, we're continuing with talking about judgment and hope. Just think about it. Whenever God brings judgment, it doesn't end there. It also comes with hope. During this week, we've been battling not just with the coronavirus, but we've been battling with making decisions, even with, you know, this uh, hurricane that is coming. You know, all of these things that we battle with, when we battle and take this to the Lord, the Bible promises us that we win, we win because the victory belongs to him. In, in other words, the battle belongs to him. And all the decisions that we, meet, we need to make in life, the good news is the battle belongs to him. Ezekiel had to deal with that. This past Sunday, we, we, uh, we gave our first uh, Sunday doing two services, and we, we tried to do something different. And the reason for that is because we wanted to bring less exposure time with people, uh, with our servants, and with our staff. So if you did not hear, I just want to clarify what we're doing for Sunday morning. Uh, because as of right now, what we're doing is we're training our staff and, our, and some of our volunteers on how we will be regathering. We're focusing on how we're going to regather uh, versus when. So how we're going to regather is much more important. And part of us caring for people is rebroadcasting our first service to our 11 o'clock service, which is our third service for Sunday's which allows our staff and their teams to return home after serving for two services. And, we, and we, we're doing this so that uh, there's less exposure time together and families and communities can be safer during this pandemic. So, with that said, this allows me the opportunity uh, to be online with you, where I'll be hosting alongside our online hosts. So, on Sunday morning, if you're Church Online, if you're on our website, uh, Church Online Service, then you're going to see a place for a chat room. YouTube, there's a place for comments. So does Facebook. And so on Sunday morning, third service, I'm live with the chat. And some of you ask questions, and I can answer them at that time. Hopefully not during the message because we want to stay focused, but sometimes we have a message from first service. And then you watch again for third service because you want to ask a question. Well, I'll be on for third service, and then by all means, we can, we can uh, have some Q&A. But we're encouraging everyone to continue to participate online and still be the church wherever you are. So we are still having three services, 7, 9, and 11 on Sundays. First service will be rebroadcasted for third service. Uh, This week, we may do something a little different because we're preparing for Hurricane Douglas. So on Sunday, we're still going to have three services, but we may uh, rebroadcast Uh, first service so we'll see how it goes all i know is we will have services broadcasted on sunday seven nine and eleven and we may not do instagram live even tonight we may not do live afterwards just so that our families can go home and prepare for the weekend just in case in the event this hurricane does come we're ready and we're prepared so just wanted to clarify that for you guys tonight as we go into the book of ezekiel which we're in the second part if you think about God and his faithfulness, God used faithful men and women like Ezekiel, who became his priest, not because of status and not because Ezekiel was someone who was so special and had something that, that qualified him more than anybody else. Ezekiel put his faith in God, even though in darkness, even though exiled, even though in a dark land, No matter the circumstances, Ezekiel said, I will still follow you. His example is a model for us as believers everywhere. But you might be thinking, well, but as a believer, even though I I, I give everything to God, what about that person? What about so-and-so? Our responsibility is on us. Therefore, we we don't resist God's plan for us. Nor do we resist God. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 1 through 6 tells us that the word of the Lord came to me Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, When I bring the sword against a land, and the people of the land choose one of their men and make them their watchmen, and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people, then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not take heed, does not heed the warning, and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head. Kind of gruesome, pretty brutal. But this is why. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, to warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will not hold the watchman accountable for their blood. God is talking about accountability. And it's like if, if because this happened in my family, I have an older brother who's six years older than me. And sometimes we would be doing things that are not good. And so he would say, watch for mom if she's coming home so that we can clean up, so that we can put away the dishes, so that we can make the house look nice because we're doing, you know, doing whatever. So I would be that watchman for mom. And if I told my brother, mom's coming, and if he didn't listen and mom walked in and caught him doing something bad, that's not on me. That was on him, and it happened before. Now, there were times... As a younger brother, I thought, this is my time, my opportunity to get back at him. So I never told him mom was coming home, and he got busted for some things. That's just an example of what God sees us as, as the watch people, that we're accountable. God holds us accountable. That's why we get into the word of God. That's why we read the word of God, so that we can hear from his spirit, take heed, and then carry out what he's asking of us. The Holy Spirit will warn us on so many things. He will warn us about our marriages, that, hey, you're you're drifting from your marriage. He will warn us financially. You're overspending. You're you're spending too much from your your income and your outgoing finances. It's not going to match up, so you're going to go into debt, and later on in life, it's going to catch up with you. So the Holy Spirit will speak to us. The question is, are we listening, and are we taking heed? If not, that's on us. So how do we knowing that God has judgment, but at the same time, he gives us hope. How do, we, how do we learn from Ezekiel? Because although God brought judgment, he also brings hope. And here's how he does it. Here's the first thing, if you want to write this in. Let God remake us. Or if you want to personalize it, let God remake me. And if you're wondering where our notes are, if you check on the box on the side, you're going to see a place that says notes on our church online and you can click that, and you have your notes and scriptures right there. But let God remake us. Here's why: If God could make us from dust, can He not remake us from flesh? Can God not renew our lives? That's what Ezekiel was battling with. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 24. 24- through 26, God says, For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Now, in the Middle East, water is the most prized commodity. It's the greatest natural resource. Water. We need water to survive. So when God is using water as a, as a, as a way to show that he's going to clean us, it's a refreshing Clean. sometimes we think if i give my life to god then what is it going to turn into don't worry about that just know this it's going to be refreshing you will be renewed god will remake us into something greater than what we were before and we will enjoy that no one ever complained after they complained about having to take a bath my grandchildren we have a system now they have to pull numbers who's going to go first but before this system they didn't want to bathe. I don't know why. Because once they get in there, then they don't want to come out. <laughs> For some reason, once we get in there, we feel clean. And then when we're done, we feel so good. Well, that's the same with God when he cleanses us spiritually. Sometimes we hesitate. We don't want to. But then when he cleanses us, oh, it feels so good. Why? Because all of the dirt, the grime, the past sins, all of the mistakes, all of the, 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 the heaviness, the burden of darkness is gone. He took care of that. That's what Ezekiel was experiencing. He continues, your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you, and this is the part we want to catch, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And when he says that, I will give you a new heart, a tender, responsive heart, Basically, what he's saying is your old heart was, it was frozen. You know, when you're, if you're a mechanic working on something and you're trying to loosen the bolts and you're trying to work on an engine and it's frozen, it cannot be moved. And so it is with us when our heart is just locked, it's rusted and just frozen. God can't move in our lives. So he has to break that. Or give us a brand new heart. And he's able to do that. So whatever evil, whatever insecurities, whatever sin or defeat we may be feeling or, or depression, sickness or disease, God is able to defeat and overcome the darkness we all deal with and the darkness we all go through. Here's the second thing. Let's find our value and worth in the Lord. Now it almost seems religious. Like what do you mean find my value in the Lord? That's, that's, I, I'm not that kind of person, I I find value in the things I do. When I build something, I find value. When I do something for someone, when I serve someone, I feel valuable. The reason why I'm saying find your value in the Lord is because we may not always have these things. For some people, they find value in how much money they have. They find value in what they own. They find value in their looks. They find value in how many likes they get. They find value in how many followers they have. But if that's where we find our value, what happens when an app changes? What happens when a fad changes? What happens when we get older and and our looks change? What happens when our car is destroyed? What happens when our homes get eaten by termites? What happens when things break? What happens when the stock market goes down and our finances go with it? What happens? Most of the times what happens is if that was our value, then our value goes down but if we find our value in the lord now we're not performing for people we don't have to put a facade up because we're not here to to find our value in people now we value people but that's not where our value comes from and our worth it comes from the lord he already gave us our identity and if if god if god is the one who restored A temporary man-made temple, as the video was talking about, a man-made temple. Tell me God doesn't find value in restoring a God-made temple. Yeah, we tend to forget that the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. That's what's incredible about finding our value in God. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to God. You know how things says, you know, made in wherever, <laughs> made in the USA. Ours, our fingerprint, that's our tag. It says, it's, it's, we're made by God. If we're made by God, then that's where we come from. He invented us. He put us together. The inventor knows more than anybody else how the invention works. That's our relationship with God. That's where we find our value. It's always in him. Ezekiel chapter 37, we read about the dry bones in Ezekiel as the video was alluding to. It says this in verses 4 through 10. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Imagine God is showing Ezekiel a picture of something dead that he's bringing to life right in front of his eyes he's able to show him once again what happened in the book of Genesis that God brought dust into and formed it into man and then breathed into man and man became a living being. God is once again showing Ezekiel that process of bringing something that is dead to life. And Ezekiel is watching this because some of us, we may feel like dead bones. We may feel empty. We may feel void. We may feel that there's nothing to live for because we have no more strength left. And then he says, so I prophesied. As I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews, the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, Son of Man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath came into them and they lived and stood up on their feet. And here it is an exceedingly great army exceedingly that word means above and beyond more than what is expected An exceedingly great army. Tell me God is not raising up an army right now in our midst as the church. Tell me he's not doing that in our very own families. Tell me he's not doing that in our marriages. God is able to work through, even though we're going through the probably the worst pandemic that we've ever experienced in modern-day history, God is still able to bring hope when it looks like judgment is happening all around the world. God is able to bring hope. See, God can turn even the dead that is inside of us into something living. He's able to turn the Dead Sea into a living one. It says in Ezekiel 47, verse 8, Then he said to me, This river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. Some of us had the the privilege of going to Israel and we were in the Dead Sea, which you float because of the, uh, the consistency of salt in the water, the high potency of salt. So you don't sink, you float. But if you get that thing in your eye, it burns. And what God was showing Ezekiel was, here's the lowest point on this earth. I can even work miracles at the lowest point on earth to make this salty water fresh again. He was showing Ezekiel that he's able to do what is impossible. In other words, even at the lowest points in our life, God is still able to breathe life. God can turn what is dead inside of us alive once again. But here's what we're going to have to learn. Here's the last thing. We have to learn to live with difficulties. I know we don't want to hear that, but that is the truth. We have to learn to live with difficulties. We already physically have difficulties. Many of us are in pain right now. But it doesn't stop us. I, I just saw a friend of mine. I was, I was jogging down my street. I saw a friend of mine. You might be watching right now. I'm not going to expose your name. But I, I, he, uh, he had, a, he had a, a back brace on him. And I said, hey, you doing okay? And he said, no, I, I, I cracked a vertebrae. And he gave me the story of how that happened. And I thought, here you are helping your friend. We, even though in physical pain, we still live. We still do things. So if we're able to do that, physically tell me god cannot even though we go through spiritual difficulties to still live spiritually and thrive we got to be able to live with the difficulties in ezekiel chapter 47 verse 11 it tells us but the marshes and swamps will not be purified they will still be salty fruit trees of all kinds Will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fail and, and fall. And there will be, there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every single month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food, and the leaves for healing. You know, God shows us that even though we live with impurities, even though there is, there is still going to be uh, difficult things to to deal with in life, he says, I can still bear fruit in your life. I can still show you the greater things ahead because I am the living water. I can still do great things in your life. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. God is the provider. That's why when we talk about disciple someone, we always talk about how when we do that with one another, when we grow in God, we're going to bear fruit and God's going to bring healing to all of us. So, I want to encourage you as, uh, as you as you learn and grow. In fact, we're going to put up a link for our uh, Rooted in Growing or our newsletter. We'll put up a link for our newsletter. If you want to know more about discipling someone and, and getting, uh, being a part of that, then just click the link and then it'll help you to uh, stay with us and get information on what is happening with discipling someone, as well as our Rooted in Growing and other things that we're doing. Uh, We do also have our summer digital experience this week with our youth. So there are multiple ways of being discipled so that we can bear fruit in our lives. And that's what Ezekiel was doing. He was saying, listen, guys, we live in an exiled land, but we can still bear fruit. We can still follow God and we can still glorify God, even though judgment is here. Because God is a God of hope. I'm going to close with this and I want to draw something out for all of us. I, I learned this some time ago, and, and living here in Hawaii, this makes sense to me. If, if you don't live here in Hawaii, uh, this will still make sense to you. So while I was growing up, I used to uh, surf at this bodyboard at this place called Sandy's on Oahu. And while coming in from Sandy's, as I'm walking onto shore, I step, I, I, I step into a hole, so I misstep. And my my knee hits one of the rocks. And so there's a a good-sized gash on it. So I go home, and there's some rock and things like that in it. So I go home. My sister, she's a year older than me, who wanted to be a veterinarian, she wanted to clean my cut. And she did. She scrubbed it. It was painful. And I said, okay, it's good. We're done. And she goes, no, we're not done. There's still some tiny things. I'm like, it's fine. When I bathe, I'll wash it out. She said, no, no, no. We have to clean it out. And here's why. Because coral is living and alive. And if that gets into your system, if that gets into your cut and it heals over it, it's going to grow and get infected and it'll be worse. So go through the small pain now, the minimal pain now, to avoid the latter pain. Amputation. So I said, okay, you got it. Scrub it out. And she got a scrubber in. And... Yeah. So this is what I learned. In life, there's always going to be coral. We're going to have, you know, things bother us. Yay, fishies. So these are all the other little fishies. Sorry, I like art. So if we have coral, right, sometimes if this is your waterline, sometimes you have coral sticking out of the water why because the tide went down so as a bodyboarder as a surfer you do not want to see this you do not like it when it's low tide and coral starts sticking out or the rocks below but in life we will always have difficulties we will always have coral we will always have to deal with the dirty swamps and the filth of the world sometimes even the filth that's in our own hearts so what do we do but we trust God in these areas. We learn to live with these difficulties and this is what we do. Instead of just saying, man, how do I just get rid of that coral? And sometimes we have to. What we can do is rise above it and ask God to fill us afresh with His Spirit. Then when we rise above and we're here, I'll just use a boat as an example. If we're here, Mm -hmm. that's a boat. So if we're here, we rise above that, then we're not hit by the coral. I want to encourage you tonight with these three areas. That when we when we come to God and we say God I I want you to remake me can you remake me so that I can rise above the coral rise above my past sins can you take care of that I ask you for forgiveness Lord God I rise above the the difficulties right now I'm dealing with in my very own home how can I humble myself to ask for forgiveness to make things right God what can I do to rise above the surface of where all the coral is maybe I need to spend time in your word that I'm going to find my value in you how can I do these things Lord so that The difficulties of life may never disappear, but I can rise above that. Help me to learn to live with the difficulties so that I change and become more like you. So no matter what kind of judgment comes our way, there is still hope left. Would you pray with me? Bow our heads for a moment. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we're able to not just learn and grow together, but we're able to be remade by you, that we're able to seek your face and rise above the difficulties of life. So give us a new heart, Lord God. Teach us new things because our value comes from you. Our worth comes from you. So we trust you and we thank you for always showing us your goodness. And even though you come with judgment and hope, you took the judgment for us. You went to the cross for us. You died on our behalf so that we could find hope in you. I pray that for all of us, Lord, that we would follow your ways. Thank you for teaching us through the book of Ezekiel how you can turn a dead, dry life into an exceedingly great army. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said together, Amen. Amen. I pray that you have a wonderful evening.